Hello, friends, and welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe. I'm Cheryl Mason. Our show features the hottest authors and introduces you, our listeners, to exciting new authors talking about themselves as well as their latest book. Medical science, fact and fantasy is the theme of this week's show. The book is titled A Passion for Healing, The Life and Work of Dr. Kamal Mansour by Rob Scruggs. The interview, however, is with the physician about whom the book is written, Dr. Kamal Mansour. Dr. Mansour is a cardiothoracic surgeon. He's also a professor of cardiothoracic surgery at Emory University Hospital and School of Medicine. In the interview, you'll hear about his early interest in medicine, his views on patients, and his advice for future doctors. In Anthony DeBenedict's medical thriller, In Search of Fate, readers will meet Adam Quester, Vice President of Genetic Research and Development at Global Pharmaceuticals. Quester has taken refuge in a monastery after the untimely and suspicious death of one of his colleagues who was on the verge of a world-changing medical breakthrough. Quester is being hunted by the company's CEO for his knowledge, and he's seemingly befriended by a beautiful psychologist, Evelyn Wyman. Is Evelyn Wyman the ally that she seems to be? Why is Quester being hunted for his knowledge? What is this mysterious scientific breakthrough? Stay tuned and find out. The book is titled A Passion for Healing. The Life and Work of Dr. Kamal Mansour by Rob Suggs. Joining us today is the man about whom the book is written, Dr. Kamal Mansour. Dr. Mansour is a cardiothoracic surgeon and professor of cardiothoracic surgery at Emory University Hospital and School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Mansour. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's my absolute pleasure to interview you. Let's talk about an overview of the book. Let's give our listeners a little idea of what this book covers, because it's very interesting. Uh, the book is uh, about my profession, my work, my life uh, as a surgeon at Emory and professor who teaches uh, chest surgery to young medical students and young doctors who are interested in following uh, a career in the practice of cardiothoracic surgery. Uh, the book uh, is written not for publicity as much as it is for uh, help medical students understand uh, what they are going for and what are they are doing? What they are doing for uh, for the practice of cardiothoracic surgery? Uh, I have four or five points here to uh, stress uh, for the medical student who is approaching the practice of uh, cardiothoracic surgery. As out as a result of my experience of 45 years of practice, as well as teaching, as well as uh, going overseas uh, to do chest surgery and uh, teach young uh, other doctors 
in Egypt, which is my homeland to start with. I wanted to stress certain points. Uh, one of them, or the first one of them, is the sanctity of life, the sanctity of human life, uh, that uh, you take it seriously, that you respect life uh, of this patient and his family, how to treat them in all sincerity and uh, honesty. Number two, I consider uh, medicine in my life as a ministry, as service, and not as uh, well, and not as to make money, uh, and as money, as I always say, say, money comes second. The patient comes first, and to serve the patient and help his uh, his problem uh, is of a par prime importance to me. I learned also to to be honest with the patient, not to tell them any lies, uh, to be gentle and uh, in conveying uh, the problem uh, he's facing, but uh, to be honest with the family and to tell the family all uh, the truth. I also learned that uh, you have to love patients before you can minister to him or her. Uh, loving should, uh, in my book, is uh, agape life, love, which means sacrificial life, giving out of yourself, out of your time uh, to the needs of uh, the patient you are trying to treat. The patient, uh, 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 the patient should be treated as if you would like to treat yourself, uh, knowing that uh, it could be you uh, uh, suffering of the disease uh, rather than you are treating the patient. Uh, being a Christian, I learned also something to uh, pray for the patients. I pray before any surgery I do. And patients, uh, it became easy for me because I could uh, talk to the patients even uh, as you read the book, you see several examples that the patients were so impressed and they needed to hear a word of support and, and encouragement even after uh, the passing away of the patient, for example. I love teaching. Uh, teaching is, uh, I love not only the teaching itself, the tech, I mean the, the theoretical part of teaching chest surgery, but I love the technique, the surgical technique, which I can convey, and uh, God gave me the ability to really help the, the young doctors learn the technique without any confusion. Uh, I love the technique, the bloodless surgery, the, the order of surgery, the steps of surgery, so that the, the young doctor will learn 
uh, very easily. And uh, it's amazing. I had s uh, some tears in my eyes as I see the young doctors doing exactly uh, the best way uh, to do the operation. Wow. Your patient philosophy is amazing. I think anyone who is listening to this interview would be absolutely feel like they were in the best possible hands if they had you as their surgeon. Dr. Mansour, that's very impressive. The book starts with you as a young boy growing up in Egypt. When did you develop this desire to practice medicine? I was even uh, five or six years old, I remember, when my mother used to uh, cook, say, a rabbit. Uh, my mother used to raise, uh, we have a big yard in the backyard, and uh, she raises chicken and, and rabbits. And when I eat a rabbit, for example, I used to, I used to see the beauty of God's creation in the, in the formation uh, of the human body or even in the rabbit. I used to collect the vertebral uh, body of the rabbit, uh, clean them, and I see beauty in them. I used to put them on, stick them to a background of purple. I remember that clearly as a youngster. And I see beauty in, and uh, not only that, but I, I actually was doing comparative anatomy and not knowing I'm doing that. So the love of surgery has been in my blood evidently without me knowing, as well as using uh, my hands uh, to create a beautiful uh, thing. And that was uh, grown up in, in surgery uh, as uh, a final operation. It has to be bloodless. It has to be beautiful, and I teach the residents that they, they should do surgery uh, with great respect, uh, no jokes, no carrying on, uh, nonsense. I will not allow any uh, body to talk in the operating room except about the patient, and that we are all uh, here because of that patient. So I demanded respect and uh, enjoyment as I do surgery, using my hands, producing a beautiful uh, results. Was there a physician in your family prior to you? Was there someone who influenced you? No, not really. But uh, I remember very well as a youngster when I used to see go, go and see a doctor, uh, and it happened that he's... Uh, a surgeon. Uh, I used to admire the cleanliness and the washing of hands and uh, the tidiness of, uh, of uh, performance, and I used to enjoy that. I thought that's a great job. You always wash your hands and stay clean all the time. <laughs> Interesting what we think of as children, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> Do you have a favorite story from the book? Yes, my favorite story uh, in the book uh, was about prayer. And I have two examples. I mentioned them in the book. 
One is a, a great Presbyterian minister who needed surgery of the thymus, which is the gland behind the breastbone. And I remember very clearly how he stopped when it started, when we were going to perform his surgery, he stopped anesthesia. Uh, everybody was scrubbed. All the nurses were ready to go. All the instruments are sterile. All the assistants were scrubbed. And we are ready to do the surgery. And he stopped the surgery, literally, in the operating room. And he said, I want Dr. Mansour to pray for me first. Wow. And that never happened before, not that I'm aware of, not even in my life, but I was so impressed that that, that uh, uh, preacher put his trust in me to the extent that he asked me to pray for his surgery, which I did, of course. And I prayed for him and for his surgery, and then he went to sleep in peace. And of course, he woke up uh, well. The other example was another family somewhere. I was doing surgery, and uh, I told, I came out and told the family that uh, I'm sorry that the patient has an inoperable cancer of the lung, and we cannot take it out. That he will need chemotherapy or radiation therapy, and I had. To very nicely to talk to the family that way. And then I asked to pray for the, with them and for them in the corridor of the hospital, which I did. And then five months or six months later, I got a letter from that daughter of that uh, patient to say that uh, she wanted to thank me so very much for what I did for her father. And although they were reconciled with the fact that he has an inoperable cancer, that he passed away, yet she said these words, and I'll never forget. She said, although my father passed away, yet we will never, ever forget the time you spend uh, in the corridor of the hospital praying for my family and uh, with my family as a support, uh, as a supportive uh, situation. Those are two very powerful stories. And I know that the book does give information about your trips to Egypt and your background as a child. And it really is a story of the life and times of Dr. Kamal Mansour. So I went to Amazon and I put in the name of the book, which is A Passion for Healing, The Life and Work of Dr. Kamal Mansour. And your last name is spelled M-A-N-S-O-U-R. And the book is written by Rob Suggs. I put that in the um, book section and it popped right up. And there's a nice excerpt that I was able to read. And I know the book is available other places, so let's tell our listeners where else they can find it. Uh, Amazon is one of them, and uh, Noble Barnes and Noble uh, bookstore. I know they have it, 
Uh, and these are two examples, of course. And Author House, I believe it's also on the Author House website, is that correct? That's, that's correct, on the Author House as well. If the, if the listeners want to know more about you, I mean, I know that you're out there everywhere on the Internet. Where can they find you? It's very easy if they just put Kamal, K-A-M-A-L, middle initial A, like Apple, and Mansoor, M-A-N-S-O-U-R, M-D, or actually C-V, uh, curriculum vita, C-V, uh, M-D, they will get that every very easily on the Internet. I repeat, Kamal, A, Mansoor, C-V, M-D. Do you have an address that you'd like to give our listeners if they would like to contact you about the book or any other questions that they might have? Uh, yes, I, uh, they can have my uh, telephone number uh, because I, I really feel that I love people and if I can be of any help in anywhere to make my life, uh, to have a meaning for my life, uh, they can call me or contact me. And if they look under the Kamal A. Mansour CV, uh, MD, uh, or MDCV, uh, they will find even my address and my telephone number and all. But I'll go ahead and give you my telephone number, which is four, area code 404-378-1836, or my... Uh, cell phone number, which is 404-558-0345. And uh, my address is, uh, is all on the Internet. They can find that, but if they cannot find it, I'll go ahead and give it to you as well. And it is 823 Lullwater Road, L-U-L-L-W-A-T-E-R, one word, Lullwater Road, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30307. 30307. Well, it has been such an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. I have enjoyed meeting you and talking with you so much. Thank you for being our guest today and taking time out of what I know is a very busy schedule. Thank you, Cheryl. I enjoyed talking to you, and I have, I hope, uh, our interview would be a blessing to those who will hear it. Thank you. You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. Anthony Benedict has a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy and English Literature from St. John's College. He also has a Master's Degree from the University of Notre Dame in systems management. Anthony is joining me today to talk about his third novel, In Search of Fate. Anthony, welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. The novel is just such a cliffhanger and a page-turner. Let's give our listeners a little bit of an overview of what the novel's about, and then let's talk about some specifics. Well, the novel traces the... uh, period, a point in a man's life when 
everything he believed in the past is suddenly called into question because of an incident which happens to be an, a, a, an apparent suicide. And um, so the novel proceeds on two paths. One is, you said, a cliffhanger. It, it is a suspenseful uh, novel. But it also has to do with the inner struggle of this person and how he um, basically comes out of himself and finds within himself the strength to do the things that he does in the novel. And I think the point of, that I was trying to make when I made, wrote this novel was to show how the decisions we make um, to the, the, the extent to which we're in tune with ourselves, with our own abilities and passions and everything, really forms our life or our fate, if you will. And in his case, because it starts off with a tragedy, he has to go through um, a, a process, um, which is a, an adventure. And he meets a woman along the way who becomes his partner in this. And um, I think the key part of the, of the novel is that um, it is a novel of our time. It, it, he is a Nobel Prize winning altruist who goes to work for a, a multinational pharmaceutical company because he thinks they can provide the business resources to do good work. Um, and in that process, um, he's put in charge as a vice president in charge of genetic uh, research, a special project called Lifetime Enhancement, Life Term Enhancement. And uh, that project develops into, uh, well, one of the scientists on that project has an, an incredible breakthrough that's going to affect all of humanity. When you read the first chapter of the book, what you discover is that he has left his job, gone into refuge in a monastery, because he has been so struck by this, not only the suicide of this person, but his own role in that. He feels responsible because he was given a, this genetic breakthrough as the person to dispense it. And he didn't know how to do it. He didn't know if this was the, the right moral thing to do because of its impact on the world. And he also didn't feel that um, a company or corporation should make profit off of something that was of a universal nature. Well, that's how the novel begins. And from that point on, he's in a complete struggle with the sources who want to control this information and get it out of him. And they pursue him, and there's kidnappings, and there's a murder, and there's all kinds of things go on at that point. And just one other thing I'll add, because I, I worked in systems development for so many years, I know a little bit about artificial intelligence. There is an artificial intelligence in this that uh, it actually helps him and his cohort. Um, his name is Adam Quester. His cohort is a psychiatrist by the name of Evelyn Wyman. And... Uh, they're a man and woman on the run through the whole book until the very end. I loved the opening of the novel, and I was curious as I read it. What inspired you? Was there an event? Was there something that triggered you to write this particular book? Because it's very interesting. Well, it's intended to be thought-provoking. Um, what inspired me was my own early um, experience with religion, to be honest with you. Um, the feeling that um, religion is, is more than a set of rules or an orthodox position, you know, whether you're Muslim or Catholic or whatever, 
Uh, it isn't a matter of following certain procedures that makes you uh, a religious person. Uh, there's something else involved in that. And uh, in the case of my um, protagonist, his early belief was that he could do great good in the world. And that's how he gets his Nobel Prize working in Africa uh, for NGOs. And the problem with that is he was following a mental um, goal um, of perfection. He, was, he believed that if he did good things, he would be a good person. But he, he really wasn't, his, he, he wasn't working out of the passion of his own heart. It was not something that was uh, built out of compassion, but built out of uh, a righteous idea of what needs to be done. When he meets the woman in this case, uh, who is not just a psychiatrist, but she's a woman who works with people every day. So her goal isn't to change the world, but to help a person at a time. And her influence transforms him. Of course, he falls in love with her because she's the perfect complement for him. And the result is that he begins to feel and to have passion and to realize who he really is, what it is in him that needs to come out. So much so that by the end of the book, he actually makes the comment to her, because I finally realized that our task in life is to discover our own value for the benefit of others. One of the devices that I really like that you used is that you give us chapters or or bits in the chapters that take us back to Adam Quester's youth. And we we first meet his youthful self when his parents are taking him to study to be a priest. And I liked those flashbacks because I think that gives us some insight into the character that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Good job on that. Well, thank you. And, of course, that was my intent was to show you the background and where he came from because it explains why in that first uh, opening passage why he is in such a turmoil. You know, he looks up at the crucifix and he he can't see any hope there. It doesn't help him. Later in the novel, he has a completely different revelation. And um, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, there's an inspiration that came to me. I have a picture of Salvador Dali's uh, crucifix on my wall here in my home. <laughs> and um, in that picture, it shows uh, the crucifix with uh, the dawn coming up from below. So you only see the back of the crucifix and the shadow of, of Christ's head is shown on the back of the crucifix. But below of the crucifix, where the sun is coming out, there's three fishermen. And the one fisherman stops what he's doing, and he's staring at the sun. The other fisherman is going about his business of preparing the nets. And the third one is kind of walking almost with his back to the to the sun. And I saw that a quester in, in, in the novel sees that as a symbol of his own life. You have the contemplative, the person who sees the light, because Salvador Dali was obviously trying to show that Christ is bringing a new dawn out with, with the crucifixion, a new dawn of light. So you have the contemplative observing that and lost in it. You have the person who continues his active life, but in the light. And then you have the person who's completely estranged from it. And that revelation to Quester is one of his own life. He suddenly realizes, I started off completely engrossed in the light, 
this was my early experience, what you referred to just a moment ago, uh, him going to the seminary and hearing the rector give his speech. He's, he's got goose pimples in the, in, the, in the pew where he's sitting, and he's so in, enveloped in the idea of it. Okay. Then he pursues an active life of trying to do something about it, working with these NGOs, but there's something missing. It's that compassion part, you see? And then finally he just is lost. It's like he doesn't have he doesn't have a sense of his own purpose anymore. He's kind of turned his back on it. That's where the opening of the novel begins. And in the course of that, he suddenly looks up and he saw sees the crucifix on the wall and he's not looking at the back of Christ's head. He's looking at the front. And he's seeing the face for the first time as a human. And as somebody who didn't have to be on that cross, but was there because in Gethsemane, he turned himself over to the soldiers who came to protect the followers. In other words, he gave up his life for the love of others. And of course, that's the whole meaning of Christianity. That's, that's the Christ message. And so the, the novel, even though it's a suspense novel and there's all this... Um, um, <laughs> there's conflict, there's actual physical conflict, there's attempted murder, there's kidnapping. The kidnapping scene is actually kind of scary. I felt like I was putting on my Stephen King role <laughs> when I wrote that part. But in all of that, there's this contemplative and undercurrent of a spiritual journey. And it actually is the, mot- it actually is a, the, the thing that motivates all of the action because it's his decisions that bring bring him into contest with the people who want to take this genetic breakthrough and make money off of it. I went I went to Amazon and I read the excerpt that's there. So all our our listeners have to do if they're curious about the beginning of the novel and I must confess when the excerpt ends I sat there and I went, "What? Wait." No, you can't stop here. I want to read more. So if they will simply put in your name, Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, D-E-B-E-N-E-D-I-C-T, and then put in the title of the novel, In Search of Fate. They can go to Amazon.com. There's a nice excerpt. But where else could they go to either read more about the book or learn more about you or the other things that you've written? Well, actually, I have a website, and I also write a blog. Uh, from the website, you can actually get in touch with all of my novels and actually order off the website. There's also a biographical sketch of me, <laughs> and there's uh, excerpts from all, all three novels, um, and there's also a way that they can uh, leave a message there for me. Uh, I appreciate um, uh, input from my readers. Uh, they can, there's an email address they can use to my host site. And, uh, and finally, on the bio page, there's um, a link to my blog for those who uh, want to follow me there. There's uh, quite a few people on the blog right now in the they're, 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 that is not um, the same type of writing, but um, you'll find there's about 65 different articles on that, some of them on domestic issues, some of them on foreign affairs. And the one that, uh, that I particularly like is one called Human Interest. There's a category called Human Interest, 
And there's everything there from um, a centipede on a limb to a dog's life to <laughs> just about anything you can think of. I call it um, um, Anthony's blog, a running commentary on whatever, and I do write about whatever there. <laughs> Let's give them the, that address. How can they find you? Okay, the website is actually the title of my first novel, which is aculpableinnocence.com. So a culpable is A-C-U-L-P-A-B-L-E, innocence, I-N-N-O-C-E-N-C-E, dot com. And there you can get all the information that you can possibly want <laughs> or need on, on me and my novels. If they want to access the blog directly, how could they do that? Well, the easiest way actually is to go to the, the website and click off of the bio page to it because the blog itself, some people have been able to get it on Google by just writing in Anthony's blog, a running commentary and whatever. Right. The problem is if you just go to Anthony's blog, you'll get about five pages of Anthony's blog. Exactly. I didn't know there was that many Anthony's out there. Wow, amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it is kind of hard. I, I can give you the, the actual address, but it's going to be a little difficult. It is Anthony's. Anthony underscore blog. No, wait a second. That's not even right. It's called. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a culpableinnocence. dot com slash home five h o m e five slash a culpable without the e a c a c u l p a b l slash Anthony underscore blog. As I said, it's kind of complicated. You're right. It is kind of complicated. Go to the website and just click on it there. Now, they can find you on Amazon. They can get the book on Amazon. They can get the book from the website. Is there anywhere else that they could get hold of copies of the book? Uh, On on Amazon, I have an author's page. That's that's another way of finding all my novels. But actually, any any bookseller will sell it. Uh, It's in uh, e-format, different e-formats. So... You should be able to find it on Kindle or whatever, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, any of those will work. One last question, Anthony. You've, we've talked about the novel. The no, it's very, very interesting. It's complicated. It's character-rich. It's action-packed. Is there something specific that you want the reader to take away from the novel I know it's not strictly for entertainment. What is it that you really want the reader to leave with? Well, what I'm, I'm sharing with my readers is, is my own personal inspiration, and that is that uh, our fate is determined by ourselves. And regardless of how difficult uh, the challenge might be, um, following um, the path, that is defined by your own um, capabilities um, in service of others. In other words, when you turn yourself inside out, what you discover is that you have a purpose in life and you have all that you need in yourself. And everybody's different. Everybody has something else to give. And that that's really what the running theme of the novel. And a second one, which might not be obvious to people until they actually 
You know, I have readers who have read my novels multiple times because they're written on different levels. But the other thing about it was the role of women uh, in, in life, in human life. And if you read the novel carefully, you'll realize that the Evelyn Wyman character is, is, is actually the key character, the catalyst, who not only informs um, a quester, but everybody, everybody that she comes in contact with, she has uh, an influence over. And at one point in the book, the artificial intelligence is asked uh, to name itself, and it names itself after female. And Quester says, you, you named yourself after a female. What's the reason? He says, because I think the age of women is now, is now, because women are caretakers, and that is what the world needs. So there, there's that sub-theme, I think, in the novel, which I think is very important, because I do feel that working out of our center and being compassionate and being in touch with our, the female psych part of us, man and woman, is really what the world needs at this point in time. Anthony, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and best of luck with the book. Well, thank you. It's been uh, it's always nice to talk about your book. <laughs> <laughs> Our time is up, and we'd like to thank you for yours. Remember, pick up a good book and read.